0: Well, good morning church. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to see Tyler Mansfield here and I'm not here to embarrass him at all, but you know what? This guy was the National Guard and he's been away from his family for the last year sacrificing and serving our country. Thank you, man. You might notice a little more of a glow with Victoria right now. I don't blame you. All right. The last part of a man to be sanctified is his right foot. (laughs) The last part of a man to be sanctified is his right foot. That was Chuck Swindoll who said that. And what he meant by that was that it is man's right foot on a gas pedal. That's the last part of a man to be sanctified. Yeah, God's still working with me on that one. I think I'm doing better, just don't ask my wife. But it is better. It really is than years ago. When I, I'm not proud of some of my crazy antics while driving when I was younger, especially as a teenager. And I recall this one incident when I pushed a driver over the edge in Patience. It was late at night, I was in a needless hurry, and I continued to tailgate this driver in front of me to the point where he pulled over so that I could go by by him and pass him. I thought all was good, but it wasn't good. And what happened next is fixed in my mind for life. He immediately pulled behind me and matched his speed with mine. The faster I went, the faster he went, the side streets I took, he took. He took. And just when I thought I might have lost him, there he was following me. I could see him in my rearview mirror. I mean, it was a sickening feeling that came over me. I was legitimately frightened. My hands were clammy, my heart was racing, my body breaking out in a sweat, and I had no one to blame but myself. But that didn't change the fact that I was overcome with fear. I came to a stoplight, and there were two lanes, and, and I was in the right lane, and he pulled over up next to me in the left lane, and, and he gave me the creepiest look I've ever seen. He, I mean, his face looked very, very mean. And I wondered what was next, what was going through his mind. Would he pull out a gun? Would he get out of his car and approach me? Was he about to drive me off the road? And those few seconds at the stoplight seemed like hours. And as soon as the light turned green, uh, I quickly made a right turn, which he was unable to maneuver, and instead he had to cross the intersection, and that is where I lost him. But my fears were not relieved as I kept looking into my mirror, expecting to see him. I feared that I would someday cross his path again in the future while traveling this common route, which was not too far from my home. I was shaken. I was trembling in fear. Know the feeling? I mean, you might not have provoked it, but it's safe to say that everyone in this room knows fear. A sound in an empty house, one of your kids not home at the expected time. You hear your parents arguing in the other room and you fear that they might just might not make it. Fear comes in all shapes and and sizes, anything from fear of, of public speaking to fear of being harmed. Whether it's 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 fear of the unknown or or fear of being rejected or or fear of being alone. Or fear of of over finances or fear of people or fear of messing up. You know the grip that fear can have on you. It can be paralyzing. Fear can be immobilizing. Fear can lead to poor decision making. Can you think of a time when your fear prompted a mistake? It's a decision that you're about to make. Fear induced. Well, in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7, we're introduced to a man whose fears are running away with him. We see a man who's an illustration of a fear prompted mistake. And so, if you're not there in your Bibles, I invite you to join with me by turning uh, to the book of Isaiah, it's Old Testament, book of Isaiah chapter 7, as we, as we continue to work our way through the book of Isaiah, not chapter by chapter, not, not verse by verse, but, but grabbing a hold of some concepts, some themes in this book. The bigger question that we're addressing in our time in Isaiah is why are we here? Why are we here? Why do we exist? Why is our purpose? Why are we here? And as we come to chapter seven this morning, the nation under the leadership of Ahaz is at great risk of losing their distinct purpose of existence—to be the light to the surrounding nations. The people of God were called and were and were to be were to give witness to the watching world that their God was a God to be trusted. So, the issue on the table this morning is one of trust. Trust. Because inevitably, fear exposes what we're holding on to. Inevitably, fear exposes, reveals what we're holding on to, what we're trusting in. And when fear invades our headspace, are we going to lean on God or are we going to lean on ourselves? Will we unravel in the face of fear or will it drive us toward God? Will fear prompt a mistake or will there be an opportunity to see what God can do? When shaken by fear, God is our greatest ally and he will fight for us. Let me say that again as our bottom line for this morning. When shaken by fear, God is our greatest ally and he will fight for us. All right, look at the Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, one other important side before I look at this. Uh, this chapter, chapter 7, and next week's chapter, chapter 8, really serve as a pair. It's a, it's a little challenging really to look at one and without the other, but I've separated them out over two weeks. And, and so we'll look at uh, Isaiah chapter 8 next week, which will continue the thought of trust in the midst of fears. It's kind of a two-part sermon here as as both weeks look at addressing our fears. All right, Isaiah chapter 7, let's look at the crisis, the crisis. Isaiah 7, verses 1 through 6, speak to the crisis. Now, in this chapter, chapter 7, we find the very familiar verse, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child, and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. That's verse 14 of chapter 7. It's quoted in the New Testament in connection to the Christmas story. Likely you already know that. But I ask you do you know the context of that in Isaiah? Do you know the verses that surround it? Glad you asked. We're going to look at it. Look with me at verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Reason of Aram and Pekah, son of Remalia, king of Israel, marched up the fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. And you go, well, there's just a bunch of hard names to pronounce there. Yes, that is true, but there's more than that. There's a lot going on in this one verse. Now, I need to remind you. That the nation at this time is divided into two kingdoms, right? You have um, the, the northern kingdom, which is made up of ten tribes, referred to as Israel. Later here, it's referred to as Ephraim. And then you have the southern kingdom of two tribes, referred to as Judah, or often House of David. Northern ten, southern two. Israel, Ephraim. Judah or house of David. That's what you have. Now eventually, the northern kingdom of Israel is going to be taken off. The ten tribes are going to be taken off into captivity by the superpower at that time, Assyria. And as we come to chapter 7, Assyria now is growing. They're flexing their muscles. Assyria really is the new bully in town. Israel, northern, is feeling intimidated by Assyria. So the king of Israel, Pekah, joined forces with the neighboring nation of Syria or Aram. And these two nations, Israel, Syria, or Aram, they form an alliance, a pact of mutual defense against Assyria. Got it? Need this to know this. Because this alliance now of those two nations in the north are, are, are forcefully going on to Judah, leaning on to Judah, trying to get them to join them in the coalition. This alliance already made one attempt to pressure them to coalition, but it wasn't successful. And so the northern alliance is threatening to attack Judah again. The two, Israel, Syria, attack Judah. Get them to be on our side and fight against us, Syria. That's what's going on. And so the future here looked rather bleak for Judah. The mood in Judah was anything but optimistic. And the man in charge in Judah was King Ahaz. All right. Did you know that all that was there in verse 1? Let's go to verse 2. Now the house of David, Judah, the southern kingdom, House of David was told, Aram, or Syria, has allied itself with Ephraim, Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz, the king of Judah, and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And so the heart of Ahaz is shaken. It's not a good sign when your leader is shaking in fear. <laughs> oh no, we're in tra- he's our leader? Well, all the people are shaking in fear. Have you ever been shaken in fear? I mean, do you know that feeling? I mean, what might be threatening your security right now? Might it be an opportunity? Might it be an opportunity for God to work? thought of it that way? While staying alone in her convent it's a true story an 85-year-old nun got trapped inside a broken elevator for four nights and three days. I'd go insane. She tried pushing the inside elevator door, electricity went off. She had her cell phone with her, but there wasn't a signal. All she had was a jar of water, some celery sticks, and a few cough drops she had brought into the elevator. Now at first, as fear came over her as you can imagine, she said to herself, this can't happen. But then, then she decided to turn her elevator into personal prayer retreat. It was either panic, or pray, she said, and told an interviewer for CNN later on. She started viewing the experience in that elevator as a gift from the Lord. She said this, I believe that God's presence was my strength and my joy. Really? I felt God's presence almost immediately. I felt like he provided the opportunity for a closer relationship. Wow, i mean would I have done that? See, in the face of crisis... How are we going to handle that? Well, God here is about to offer Ahaz the opportunity of a lifetime to experience what it means for God to fight for him. And so God sends Isaiah the prophet to Ahaz. And he says to him now, verse verse 4, he says, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Reason and Aram, and of the son of Remalia. Do you notice here? He calls these two kings and their nation two smoldering stubs of firewood. In other words, there might be smoke, but there's no fire. You might picture you're at a campfire, and and, and the fire has kind of gone out, and all you have left are some remnants of the fire there. You, there's still some smoke coming from the firewood, but not much fire activity. That, that's what's said of these two kings. They're nothing than more than sticks whose fire has gone out. They're nothing more than two burned out cigarette butts. And the situation that's driving Ahaz into a frenzy is all unnecessary. All smoke, no fire, nothing to fear. But you see, in every circumstance, there's two perspectives, human, divine. And those two are often in conflict, are they not? It comes down to this, really. Will Ahaz trust his perspective of the situation or God's point of view? Will I, will we trust my perspective, our perspective on the situation, or we will trust in God's point of view? I mean, do you need to take some time right now on some situation facing you to get God's perspective on it? Because you just can't have it. The crisis. What's, your, what's the crisis right now that's causing you some fear? All right, we go to the choice. The choice. In poetic fashion, verses seven through nine, lay out for us God's perspective on the situation. Notice these verses. Verse Verse seven. Notice verse 7. It says, It will not take place. What will not take place? This threat upon you from the Northern Alliance, it will not happen, God says. Now, it doesn't get any clearer than that. God's the one in charge of outcomes. See, when threatened and, and when fearful, when, when things kind of feel overwhelming, are we going to trust our perspective or God's? Where will we stand? And that's what he says at the end of verse 9. That's the challenge, is it not? If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. What is that saying? Either you stand and trust in God, or you're going to have your feet planted in midair. See, the choice is, the choice is ours. Trust God with our situation or don't trust God with our situation. There's no neutrality in that. And even an indecision, I'm not sure where I'm going to go yet, is a decision. E. E. Stanley Jones says it this way, if you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. And that's really the watershed issue. See, the real threat to our security is not the thing we fear. The real threat to our security is not the thing we fear, but that we're trying to go through that experience without God. That's the real threat. And as long as we think we can make it without Him, we'll continue to ignore Him and His help and do things on our own. And, and, and that, church, is, is, is to not stand at all. Not stand at all. Now, here's the thing. Everyone is trusting in something or someone. Everyone is. This week, you're going to trust in, in one thing or another. Some are trusting in, in, in good luck. Some are trusting in karma. Some are trusting in, uh, believe in fate. Some will, will trust only what their eyes can see. Some are going to trust in their own competence, their own ingenuity, their own intelligence, their own logic. But we all are trusting in something or someone. You know, often people say, "Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, Christianity is just a crutch. Okay, what's your crutch? I like my crutch a lot better than your crutch, right? We're all trusting in something in order to live life forward. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? And is it in something sustainable? Is it in something that's going to help you go the distance? <laughs> that Gary's talking about over communion. It's going to help you go the distance. Is that what you're trusting? going to help you go the distance. There was a national magazine assigned a photographer to take pictures of a forest fire. And they they simply told this photographer that a a small plane would be waiting at the airport to then fly him over the fire. So the the photographer arrived at the airstrip. And sure enough, there was a small uh, Cessna airplane stood waiting there. And so this photographer jumped in the airplane with his equipment and shouted, let's go. The pilot sitting in the pilot's seat, a, a tense looking man. Turned the plane into the wind, and soon they were in the air, and they were flying erratically. Well, fly over the north side of the fire, said the photographer, and make several low-level passes. Why? asked the nervous pilot. Because I'm going to take pictures, yelled the photographer. I'm a photographer, and photographers take pictures. And the pilot replied, oh, you mean you're not my flight instructor? (laughs) Little problem there. We need to know who's in the seat next to us. Who are we taking our instructions from? Who's our instructor? It's critical that our trust is in someone who can actually help us. See, we're faced with that choice every single day, throughout the day. Lean on God, we will stand. Trust in ourselves, see things unravel. Everything in life flows out of that decision. So we have the crisis and we have the choice. Now we come to the confrontation. We come to the confrontation. Verses 10 through 14. Now I need to remind you of the the background that's going on here. Is that there's a superpower, Assyria. They're breathing down people's necks here. And at that time, Assyria was the team to beat. Now here's the deal. Northern Alliance, that's why this is first, verse one information is important. The Northern Alliance, Israel and Syria is threatening to use military force on King Ahaz and Judah. Ahaz, king of Judah, thinks it's a good idea to ask Assyria for help. He's seriously considering asking this evil nation Assyria for some help. Now, folks, that's like a mouse being chased by two rats asking a cat to help them. Not going to end well. Not going to end well. But Ahaz is so overrun by fear that he's about to make a situation even worse by depending on this evil nation, Assyria, when instead he should be depending on God. And really the question for Ahaz is, what will it be? God or Assyria? Will your fear drive you to make a colossal mistake? Well, God now confronts, directly confronts Ahaz. He presents Ahaz with a test. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Do you see what this is saying? It says, if God is handing Ahaz a blank check. You pick a sign, Ahaz, any sign you want. You pick any miracle you want, anything you would like God to do that will prove his words of valid. Pick a sign. I mean, wouldn't you like to have that one? Pick a sign. Anything you want. It's yours. Just tell me what it is. That's, that's what God's given to Ahaz. He, he's given Ahaz a chance to prove God's trustworthiness. He's, in, he's inviting Ahaz to ask for a sign as evidence that God wants to be his ally, that God will fight for him. Now look at Ahaz's answer in verse 12. I love, this is great. I mean, you got to put on a spiritual voice here. All right, you do. We have a spiritual, we have a spiritual voice. We have a regular voice and we have a spiritual voice. This is a spiritual voice. Oh no, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. That's pretty big of A.S. What a man of God. I mean, he is so godly. He doesn't need to see any sign. Now, it may appear that's what's going on here at first pass. That's not the case at all. Have you ever hid behind spirituality to avoid obeying God? Let Let me pray about it. No, no, go make it right with the one you offended. I mean, you can pray about how to do that in tack, but don't just say, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray whether I should obey that or not. No, no. I need, to, I, need to hear, I need to hear from the Lord on this. No, he already told you in his word. We hide behind it, let's be honest. Don't hide behind a pious facade because you simply do not want to do what's right. Why doesn't Ahaz ask for a sign? I mean, what's the real reason? Because his mind is already made up. He doesn't want to have a reason to have to believe. He would rather put his trust in Assyria to rescue him than give God an opportunity to show what he can do. And I pause right here and I ask, in what way is my mind made up so that I'm going to miss out on what God wants to do? What way is your mind made up that you're going to miss out on an opportunity of what God wants to do in your situation? There was this old Scottish woman who went from home to home across the countryside selling thread and buttons and shoestrings. And, and when she would come to an unmarked crossroad, in order to know which way she would go, she would toss this stick in the air that had a point on it. She'd toss this stick in the air and then go in the direction uh, the stick pointed to when it landed and so one day however, she, she, she was seen throwing, tossing the stick in the air when it come back down, she'd pick it back up, she'd throw it up in the air again, she'd, she'd land on the ground, she'd throw it back up again. Someone saw her doing that and said, what's the deal here? Why do you toss that stick up in the air more than once? Because, replied the woman, it keeps pointing to the left and I wanna take a road on the right. Right, you know, right? We know how that works. She then dutifully kept throwing the stick up into the air until it pointed to the way she wanted to go. Can you relate to that? I mean, isn't it amazing how stubborn we can be in holding on to doing things our way? And doesn't it really come to a lack of trust in God and all too often we function in me I trust? And so, so we, we try and control the outcome, and we, we manipulate decisions, and we find people and read stuff that agrees with us. Keep throwing up in the air. Oh, I don't like your answer. Oh, you want me to do that? Nope. I'm gonna, right? We can find someone eventually who will agree with us. And then we go, that's the way I'm going. Yet yeah, we never really consult with God. That's where exactly where some people are at. They don't don't want to even ask God to show himself to them because they really don't want to believe. Perhaps that's that's where you are today. Even even for your salvation, you say, yeah, I know you've given me a good case on it, but you know what? I really don't want to accept that because then I might have to submit my my will to God and, and I don't really want to do that. See, the problem with Ahaz is a problem we all can relate to if we're honest. Ahaz knows If he lets God in, then God will take control. And that would mean he must surrender his own control, his own plans. And we don't always like that. Ahaz didn't want to trust God. That is a huge mistake. He'd rather put his trust in some superpower, the nation of Syria, Ahaz has has no intention at all of obeying God and does not want God to disrupt the plans he has already made and he tries to hide that behind a pious disguise to not test God. Well, God sees behind the mask of piety and pretending to be spiritual. He knows the real reason for his refusal and even though Ahaz won't ask for a sign, God is going to give him one. And that's where we find the familiar words, verse 14. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, now by the way, the you there is plural. It's not just a sign to Ahaz, but it's also to the people of that day. And what's the sign? Virgin will be with child, give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Now, our minds immediately go to the Christmas story told by Matthew, and it should. There's prediction here Of the coming Messiah. Who would be born of a virgin. But what is this child spoken of in this day. To the people of Judah. What would they understand this to mean. Because a sign. Is something that can be seen. So what good is a sign. If you say here's your sign. Not going to be for thousands of years from now. But that's a sign to you. What's the sign. Sign only makes sense if it means something to Ahaz. Now. I don't want to go bogged down in in the weeds here. But the prophet's word choice, and you can can look into this yourself, okay? But the prophet's word choice doesn't stress the virginity, but neither did he wish to leave it aside. It appears That Isaiah's word choice here is one that could refer to a child born to a woman in his time and also miraculously used for Mary, the mother of the Messiah. There's a dual intended purpose here. There's a two-sidedness to the sign in Ahaz's day. The sign has significance in Ahaz's day and for that time. But it also extends beyond that time to its ultimate fulfillment and the Savior's birth. Matthew references, it's unmistakably clear that in Matthew, Mary had no sexual relations with Joseph or any other man. And so the birth of Jesus was a miracle birth, not through the seed of any man in order to retain his deity. Okay, so what is the sign then to not only Ahaz, but the people of God in Isaiah's day? Stay with me. The sign was this, I believe. That the child born to Isaiah would still be immature when the two threatening nations would have been destroyed. Israel and Syria. That by the time this child born to Isaiah is old enough to eat more solid food or know the difference between right or wrong, the nations that are threatening him will cease to exist. Israel, Syria. And that's what he goes on to say in verses 15 and 16. I'm not going to read it. You can check it out. Jot it down. Read it later. But that's the prediction. That's the sign. That by the time the youngest, newest one born to Isaiah is even three years old. Those two nations you're all worried about are going to be gone. And sure enough, within three years, that prediction came true. The two kings Ahaz was afraid of. We're dead Now have you noticed Have you noticed That many things we worry about Never come about Have you noticed that And yet how much Do those things That we're worrying about Occupy our time And our energy There's no need to panic Church There's no Need to panic. God is your ally. He will fight for you. Can we trust him? Can we trust that he is our Emmanuel? Now next week. As we look at the companion passage to this in in, in Isaiah chapter 8. It will speak more to this child born who is called Emmanuel. But suffice it to say now. God is assuring Judah that even though Ahaz acted like a fool. Assyrians plans to destroy Judah would be thwarted why because Emmanuel God is with them and we're going to come back to that next week but the real crisis this is what I want us to grab a hold of the real crisis is not the physical threat of any nation's invasion but a lack of trust in God that's the real that's the real uh, crisis in Isaiah chapter 7, we meet a man who wanted to control his destiny. He was so overcome by fear of what might happen that he put his trust in people rather than God. Huge mistake. You find yourself in a predicament right now? It just, that just might be the perfect position to see God work. This is convicting. I'm, I'm, this is convicting. It's in life's predicaments that God can become very significant and real. What, what do you fear right now? Will you treat God as real, as relevant, as the one who's your ally, who wants to fight for you? In your situation, when it really counts, will you trust God? Will I trust God with it? Everything in life flows out of this matter of trust, does it not? Will we abandon trust in Him and trust in ourselves, or we wait and trust what He will do for us? And I'm really the last person to speak on waiting because I'm not very patient. But God offers himself to us, church, as our greatest ally. He wants to fight for you. And so what you fear right now, might this be an opportunity to experience God fighting for you? And will you wait for it? Will you wait for it? One hot hot afternoon, a certain woman walked to her neighbor's a produce farm, to buy some grapes. The line was very long, and each person seemed to get special attention, but she waited in line patiently. When she finally made it to the front of the line, the the owner asked for her order, and and she asked for some grapes. Well, please excuse me for a minute, the, the owner said, and the owner walked away and disappeared behind a building. And for some reason, this rubbed the woman the wrong way. Everyone in line before her was greeted warmly. They were given special attention. And most importantly, they were served immediately. But when she was forced to wait, first of all by being in line, and then when she got to the front of the line, she was forced to wait some more. And she was offended. She felt the owner took her regular business for granted. And the longer she waited, the angrier she became. You're forced to wait right now? Well, finally, the produce stand owner reappeared. And, he, and with a big smile, he presented her with the most beautiful grapes she had ever seen. He invited her to, to taste them, and, and she did. And she never tasted grapes so delicious. As he turned to leave with her, with, her, with, her, with her delicious grapes, he stopped her and he said, Oh, yeah, I'm sorry I kept you waiting, said the owner, but I needed the time to get you my very best. How long have you been waiting in line and waiting on God to answer your request? How long? How long have you been waiting in line for God to meet a need, resolve some issue that's going on in your life or to open that door? Whatever you do, don't get out of line. Whatever you do, Don't allow that fear to prompt a mistake, a poor decision, something that you're just going to rush into and only makes matters worse. The God who is with us is for us. What do you need to trust Him with even though you can't see the answers right now? God wants to fight for you. This just may be an opportunity to see what God can do. Will you wait for it? Will you wait for it? Let's pray. God, we ask you to take your word and personalize it to our lives as you can do the best. And I just pray and ask that your spirit of God would guide us into that this morning. May we leave here with a word from you and let often prayed that we're not only hearers, but we're doers of that. This morning, throughout this week, whatever it looks like, I pray we'd make that application and by your enablement and by your empowerment. We can do it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.